Welcome to the Ed Alia podcast, hosted by Peter Kranitz and Brad Davis. Each episode focuses on a concept that represents a fundamental issue in contemporary life, examining it through works of culture and philosophy that help us understand its impact and explain our present situation. I, I've been slacking on this already. Um, Peter, Peter, why don't you introduce yourself since they're going to be talking about the uh, 1990s era Gen X phenomenon uh, subculture, not quite subculture since they didn't really have any direction, but uh, the phenomenon of the slacker. Um, so the the term, my understanding is the term wasn't really in common use until uh, Richard Linklater's 1990 film of the name kind of introduced the concept to the world at large and kind of brought uh the, the concept of the slack at the the cultural consciousness forefront. Uh, Brad, what? How about you give us a quick just like rundown of how you envision the slacker? I mean, when that word first thing that pops in my mind is like middle school sitting on the couch watching MTV on spring break, probably because that's when my parents would call me me a slacker. To me, it's never really had the heroic connotation that it has in the films we're going to discuss today. Although the heroic connotation they give it is something I very much feel. I just don't think I would describe it in the same way, which, which might get to part of sort of the, I think it's an interesting element of this discussion in in society rich large kind of pseudosciency but but talk of generational change and how how different age groups really view the world a little different in in the opening credits of slacker the the movie uh we're given three definitions of slacker a person who shuns or avoids work and other obligations a person who avoids military service or an educated person who's anti-materialistic, purposeless, apathetic, and usually works in a dead end job. Like, do you know where? Do you know where those definitions got pulled from? Because I'm really not sure. Like, do you, do are those are those like Merriam-Webster definitions? Like, are they? I have no idea. You wrote it on the <laughs> Google Doc. Yeah. No. It's, I, I've. I didn't actually even pull them from the title credits. I, I also have been kind of slacking in this episode. I didn't pull them from the title credits. I pulled it from from an article that I found that quoted that. Um, but I, I don't remember I seeing don't, that I don't, in the opening credits. Honestly, I, I don't know if I if I saw that either. It it sounds familiar. You know, it sounds it's. Well, these are three it, ways to imagine uh, a slacker being, nonetheless. Right, um, and I think that the the last one, if not not Linklater's coinage, it's at least the one that he's really playing with and the one that he's interested in. Um, so Linklater, I think, used the term slacker in particular to refer to that sort of later part of the definition an educated person who is anti-materialistic anti-materialistic purposeless apathetic and usually works in a dead-end job um and like you were saying brad he uses it not in like a, a denigratory way he takes it very positively um the 
is something heroic about not being a quote-unquote contributing member of society uh you know and also not being a legion of citizens acts it's people who are living very much within their very modest means you know um and just hanging out um i i would like probably to circle back later on this educated portion of that definition but i think something that is i don't know what to quite make of it but we'll talk about the movie clerks later what's the difference between someone who is a clerk at a gas station convenience store and a slacker who works at a gas station convenience store there is a difference in this terminology and it seems to me mostly that the slacker is self-aware knows that they could be doing something more but isn't and it's a weird it's i don't really know what to make of that because it is denigrating people doing the same thing who aren't as intelligent more likely aren't as well educated as the slacker but it's only like the slacker who's got this self-awareness or uh, as we'll see in, in one of the movies if you're doing nothing and you can quote great works of philosophy or literature that makes you a slacker with some cash it that makes you someone respectable if you're doing the same thing or even being more productive but you can't to some weird, kind of unimportant, unproductive intellectual task, like uh, a podcast, <laughs> that makes you less important. And it, it's weird the way these are valued. Yeah, I think you're hitting at a really important point here. And I think the big thing is that a slacker is a slacker by choice. Um, they're really, it's, you know, it, you know, we could probably talk a little bit about Reality Bites right now, which is the movie you were referencing a minute ago uh, with the, the slackers quoting great works of philosophy and everything. Um, but the the divide is not that, you know, someone couldn't be like Ben Stiller's character in that movie and working for some multinational corporation or whatever. They just choose not to. They would prefer to be, you know, a, a burnout getting fired for stealing a Snickers and playing in their band on the weekend, you know? Uh, it it's uh so one of the quotes that i has stuck with me since i watched slacker the first time a few years ago and every time that i rewatch it i always come back to is one of the characters at one point makes the statement that withdrawing in disgust is not the same as apathy and i think that's uh, a very central point to this is that it's uh an anti-establishment lifestyle rather than just a um uh trying to earn a paycheck somehow lifestyle and there's definitely an element of classism to it and elitism for sure Yeah, I don't think you can be a working class slacker. It, like, 
you have to come from a place of the act of considering oneself or describing oneself or choosing this lifestyle as a slacker is a seems to be a purposeful debasement of the individual knowingly saying i'm too good to do something inferior to my state in life and so i'm going to do that because i can i think that there's um, more than that a bigger element of this sort of working class romanticism in it you know this the idea of sort of romanticizing the life of the working class in opposition to the the corporate stooge the yuppie um i really see it as a, a big response to sort of the the Gen X or yuppie, like Reagan era, economic and political ideas, the idea that one has to be a productive member of society, that one should be, you know, pulling in six figures at a bank and moving to the suburbs with a wife and kids. Why would you do that when you could just hang out with your friend and smoke weed all day and, you know, work a job at a gas station too and buy your toys at thrift stores and listen to grunge music and, uh, you know, not, not worry about the, the things that your parents chose to worry about. As, as a deliberate response to being told to do so. They think part of that circles back to, to be able to make that decision, you have to be in some sort of circumstance where where you can make that decision. Like I, I think you're right in saying that it is sort of like a, a middle-class movement. It really isn't of the working class, even though it's emulating the working class. Um, and I think that's part of why the slacker... Uh, didn't have a whole lot of staying power as a cultural archetype because it really it uh you see it in some places you know a lot of the the liberal arts college stereotype of the uh person with wealthy background who buys their toys at thrift stores and pretends like they're poor for the the cultural clout of it um but which at lewis and clark college where peter and i both attended there were examples in every spot on campus yeah, there, it was an unavoidable fact of, of the college experience. And I think that's true um, at a lot of colleges. I don't think that's exclusive to, to our alma mater, but uh, it definitely was apparent there. Um, but I, I, I think... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think you're right that this is fundamentally uh, middle class. And I, I, I do think it's interesting... The particular status symbols that are fetishized, particularly in reality bites, uh, that the girl driving around in uh, a BMW is like the height of class and cool for her in a way that like a BMW inherently doesn't that is very much a stereotypically middle-class ambition to have a nice expensive car nicer than your neighbors but like having a nice car is very far removed from from higher more upper class goals or lifestyle it, she's living in a, a dumpy apartment with a bmw and that's like awesome but it, it's it's very bourgeois right it, it's a middle-class fantasy and middle-class escape it's uh, it all kind of feeds into itself in a way but i do think that it in at least sort of its ethos it is pretty anti-establishment even even while still feeding off of and being part of the 
being fed by that establishment itself. I I think what you were saying um, about about sort of a response to the Reagan era excesses um, makes sense to me, uh, and and being discussed probably with parents anti materialism that that also, I think it just in the evolution of um, terms slacker being sort of a response to yuppies, yuppies in being a response uh, to yippies, which was sort of the the group of uh, social activists, particularly in the late 60s, protesting against the DNC and, and the Democrats for not being progressive enough. Uh, they, the Yippies famously um, nominated Pegasus, the pig, for president. <laughs> and, and them in turn being a response and a playoff, the Hippies, which uh, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of everything to do with 60s counterculture but there's plenty to say about both the excesses the hopes promises disappointments everything that uh the hippies and the summer of love represented um it is interesting how it seems each successive generation tries to overcorrect for the faults of their parents um the yippies being frustrated that the hippies sold out the yuppies seeing the selling out and trying to accept it then we've got the slackers seeing their parents just sort of give up hope for anything more than you know living a nice life in the nave in the suburbs with that bmw get a good retirement and you can grow in the backyard every weekend right and i think the biggest I think the biggest innovation of, of the, the slacker innovation, if you can call that, I guess, of the slacker compared to the other uh, the other subcults that came before it is how it was overtly and inherently anti-materialistic it was, while still also being interested in pop culture and the workings of politics in sort of an observer standpoint. Uh, they're, you know, the in slacker, they're all really obsessed with... Uh, conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination in particular, uh, which is awesome and, you know, a very 90s thing, I feel like, 80s, 90s. You don't really hear a whole lot of that these days, but they're still interested in these things, but not in a mainstream perspective on it. They don't, they're not interested in the, the Warren Report, right? <laughs> not interested in the Warren Report's uh, take on it. They want to do something a little bit different of it. They 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 don't want even their parents' story about what ha- the most important political event of the past half century. You know, totally, totally. Um, yeah the the anti government trust uh anti government distrust uh is pervasive throughout Slacker and everyone's mindset, which I do think is interesting in so far as as a reaction to reagan politics to be even more skeptical of the government is an interesting way to go go about it um man slacker released 1990 uh richard linklater's second feature film first like real is his debut is i yeah what what what's the deal with his his first movie did you did you look into that? I much? I've never watched. I, it. I I want to. I've heard it's a uh, an extra on the Criterion Collection version of Slacker, which tells me it's <laughs> maybe not the greatest. But I love Linklater. Yeah, I I thought it was. I was gonna like 
it, in my mind is like a student film, but he was never a film student. I guess it just sort of was a thing that he made with a camera, like very, uh, very Gorilla Gonzo style, $3,000 budget. Amazing. Um, Even Slacker, very Gonzo. Uh, I think $25,000, $27,000 budget. Parts of it he recorded on a Fisher-Price camera that could only record on to an audio cassette <laughs> for visuals, and he used that in it. Uh, there are p- points where the boom mic falls into frame. Uh, there, It is not a professional film, especially not like Boyhood, which took like uh, 10, 15 years to film. Yeah, I mean, uh, his next movie is taking, I think, 35 years or something like that. Uh, yeah. Slacker is phenomenal, despite technical difficulties. I'd say in part because of technical difficulties. It makes it an embodiment of the, the era that it's, that it's chronicling, you know? It, it is such a product of that world that's being depicted. It, it's perfect. It's If it was higher budget, you know, something like Reality Bites, we'll talk about in a minute, there's something that almost feels wrong about it being so sleek and so well-made in depicting people in those situations. Absolutely. 100% agree. My one reservation is that in describing it this way, we make people think it's not artistically brilliant because it is. Every single shot is beautiful. The way everything is framed is it is very thoughtful. It is artistically cutting edge. The dialogue is unreal. We we can't talk about that like geeking out in the dialogue a little bit, but unreal. And they're doing all of this. It there's a, one has to acknowledge the the limits of what Linklater was able to do. There's scenes where it's very clear that there's a long pan out, and you know they don't have fancy wireless mics, so they do voiceovers in the studio afterwards, and you can tell <laughs> it's a little distracting, but it is still so beautiful. Uh, and most of the film is shot. It looks as if it is one continuous shot all the way through. And I don't believe it actually is. Oh, it definitely is not. <laughs> I think Linklater has tried to do that in at least one of his films. But it'll go through and show someone drive the opening scene, uh, it, vignette really, is someone driving through Austin in a taxi. The guy gets the, out of the taxi. The, the guy is Richard Linklater, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Link later gets out of the taxi. He starts walking. He sees something happening. We focus in on that scene. But then someone else walks in the scene and out of the scene, and then it just follows them. So it's constantly, it, it has no sense of real place or location. It is always moving and always introducing new characters whose stories are never resolved. And it's amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, there is no story. They, they don't really have stories, just little impressions. Vignettes is exactly the way to describe it. And the, the camera sort of passes from person to person, literally, as they, like, walk past each other. As one person leaves a conversation and uh, walks past a stranger, the camera starts following the stranger. There's no way to predict what's going to happen or who's going to be the star next. Um, it, it, it's a movie about nothing and about nobody. And it is the perfect embodiment of, of that era. It, I think it's based really on Richard Linkler's own experience in Austin, Texas, where it's set around that time. He was, the the cinematographer, Lee Daniels, was, this is, was his roommate. Uh, 
lot of the people aren't professional actors who are in the movie. I don't really know if any of them are, actually. Professional musicians uh, abound. A you couple have the drummer of them, yeah. from the Butthole Surfers. And yeah, Teresa uh, Taylor Daniel tries Johnson. to sell someone. Teresa Taylor, the drummer from the Butthole Surfers. First scene, she tries to sell someone uh, a pap smear that was apparently Madonna's. It's <laughs> it is the f- it is the funniest line <laughs> in any movie I have ever seen. <laughs> I know what I gotta show you guys, man. This this will blow your gourd. I have this friend, all right? She's a gynecologist in Hollywood, and she scored this for me from the lab where she works. It's a Madonna pap smear. I know it's kind of cloudy, but it's a Madonna pap smear. It's got Ciccone on the top. That's like, you know, like a medical label, Ciccone. Check it out. I know it's kind of disgusting, but it's like, it's sort of like getting down to the real... Madonna. Right after uh, Peter was talking about conspiracy theories, right after she describes someone who got into a car crash as getting taken out by the grassy knoll on the side of the freeway. (laughs) (laughs) It is, man, it is slacker. It is the the best movie. And I don't want it. It's very early on, but I'm not going to spoil this. There is a beautiful moment where... (laughs) A character walks out having just done something heinous and violent uh, with a camo shirt that says army, colon, be all that you can be. <laughs> I Every love ounce of it's... this is oozing irony, but not not the sort of sad, depressing irony we, we've uh, come to take in our entertainment. It is, it is self-aware. It is genius. This is low-budget. Austin, Texas, Dubliners, made in the 90s. Yes. Well, you know, and, and to talk about it outside of just how great it is, you know, just as like a product of sort of that era, what what you see with, you know, the characters, the conspiracy theorists and the, the army shirt is just sort of a general anti-army thing. You know, Brad, we were talking earlier about whether or not that guy could have possibly been a veteran of something, but there really wasn't a war for him to have been a veteran of that we could really place. It wouldn't really make sense. So it's not really a comment on PTSD or anything. It's just a comment on the military. Um, it Well, I don't think it... Part of the genius of this movie is there isn't really any commentary. They are just slackers. They're just people doing their thing. You might draw your own impressions from it. Well, I think it would be... Wearing that t-shirt is an intentional choice. But beyond that... I don't think there is a message from the author. The auteur doesn't have a story to tell other than to just show you the lives of these people who are saying no to, to capital. I like very strongly disagree. I think that there's, uh, if, you know, it takes a watch through or two or three to, to kind of pick on, but there's, there's through lines, you know, the, the Kennedy assassination runs through a lot, UFOs, conspiracy in general. Uh, things like there, there are through lines through these dialogues that they're not just random smatterings of slice of life conversation. Even though they feel that way, I do think there's a very deliberate line. I do think the line that through it is more or less just general anti-establishment. I think that it's just, uh, you know, uh, dropping out of society, kind of questioning the man. There's, there's the scene with an anarchist who. Uh, comes home to a uh, guy robbing his home and he just talks to the bank robber for a while, or the, the, the home robber for 
burglar, we call the puzzles burglars, talks to the burglar for a while and tells him all these stories about, you know, fighting alongside Franco or against whatever. I don't really know that much about the Spanish Civil War. Fighting in the Spanish Civil War. Um, <laughs> fighting in the Spanish Civil War. Um, and then uh, we get back and she's like, oh, is he telling you all war stories again? He's like, oh, yeah. She's like, he, he's never been to Spain. Like, it, it, total bullshit, you know? Even the, the, the anti-establishment heroes aren't heroes because being heroes makes them establishment it it's i think there's something there even if it isn't super overt okay that that's fair yes i i think that we have come to associate political commentary and messaging and art as billboards screamed in your face this is how you ought to think and Linklater is not doing that this is a subtle critique that you're right is intentional it is so much more artistic and intelligent and interesting and subtle than anything similar I've seen in the last now 30 years uh, since this movie came out, Slacker is as good as it gets. Yeah, it's it, it's incredibly well done. Uh, do you have anything you want to add, sort of, about the depiction of that lifestyle in that movie, or um, how it? All I want to add is that it's so much better than the movie you made me watch for this podcast, Reality <laughs> Bites, which came out in 1994. I do not know who the director. It was Ben Stiller. Was. Uh, directed by Ben Stiller. That's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> it was Ben Stiller uh, featuring Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, Steve Zahn, uh, Janine Garofalo. Yeah, uh, Ben Stiller himself. Garofalo, Zahn, Hawke are awesome. Ryder, meh. Yeah, I love Winona ben Ryder. Stiller. Don't hit on Winona. <laughs> ben Stiller, not great. And not great behind the camera either. And... He plays the yuppie, and I guess to someone at this, I think part of the irony is supposed to be that at this point in time, Ben Stiller wasn't really a somebody, and he was a comic on the up, but at this point, all I can think of is Derek Zoolander (laughs) is like trying to direct an edgy film yeah, he, about dropping out of society and that doesn't do it for me i mean he didn't really get pigeonholed into comedy until a few years later he was really trying to be like a, a very serious uh film actor and director in his early career i think this was the first movie that he directed but he's directed a few others and if you look at some of his more recent work too it's all very serious and very very uh didn't he start out as a stand-up comedian though prior to prior to that you know, I can't say I know very well, but I know that in the 90s around this time, he was really trying to be like a, a real serious tourist director. Like, I, I, my guess is he probably loved Slacker, wanted to be just like Linklater. Um, but yeah, well, I, I wanted to watch this movie because I think that it provides a really good contrast. You know, Slacker, we only see the Slackers. There really isn't anybody who isn't just some... 25 year old burnout for the most part in that entire movie whereas in reality bites we had that contrast where uh winona ryder is sort of torn between her two love interests ben stiller and ethan hawk with ben stiller being the yuppie and ethan hawk being the burnout 
uh, the, the slacker. And I think that the, I agree. This is an amazing movie. I, I enjoy it. I think it's a good movie. Uh, it's, I, I did like it better than I let off. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't, you know, it's not Notoro's masterpiece, you know, and it's not even just like a Notoro's stoner comedy, whatever, like the next movie we'll talk about, like quirks, but it, I do think it's good. And it, presents that that contrast like i was saying between the the straight-laced uh very normy businessman who like basically works for like an mtv-esque company right and mm-hmm. uh winona Ryder is a filmmaker documentary filmmaker who's just doing the link later thing filming her friends and he he sees it and he's like oh i could put it on tv and they end up cutting it up into some ridiculous like weird mtv-esque thing and this is nothing like her tourist vision ethan hawk's just a musician who reads philosophy and doesn't have a job or gets fired from a couple of jobs it's doesn't show up to his interviews it's yeah he has a change of heart by the end of the movie and becomes a little bit more straight-laced which is somewhat disappointing ben stiller remains low iq materialistic mtv stooge throughout the most interesting part, I think, and and actually what I do want to give Ben Stiller credit for is why I do not think that the writing in the story is fantastic. Some of the visual choices are really engaging and interesting, and they do put it, intersperse uh, the movie with shots that are very much documentary, handheld camera. They do some weird things throughout sort of uh playful visually there's some interesting things happening the most engaging part for me prior to the movie starting prior to the title screen there's a a shot of them both writer steve zan uh jane garofalo and, and ethan hawk they, they all went to college together prior prior to moving uh into a house together after graduation and it shows them all. Sorry, I don't mean to digress too far. I don't want to make you lose out. They they live in Texas too, right? No, they're in L.A. L.A. is that is that right? Yes, I don't ben know. Still, just working for MTV in Hollywood. Jesus Dude, Christ! Come on, it's, come on. It's been a minute since I've seen the movie. I'm uh, sorry, I don't know why the, Texas sticks out of my head still. They're all standing on this roof. They're partying, and it's interspersed with shots. Yeah, they're in Houston, Texas. Window. Oh, okay. Don't listen to me. Uh, it's interspersed <laughs> with shots of Winona Ryder giving the valedictorian address at her college graduation. And they wonder why those of us in our 20s refuse to work an 80-hour week just so we can afford to buy their BMWs. Why we aren't interested in the counterculture that they invented, as if we did not see them disembowel their revolution for a pair of running shoes. But the question remains, what are we going to do now? How can we repair all the damage we inherited? Fellow graduates, the answer is simple. The answer is... The answer is... I don't know. It is inspiring. It sets the slacker ethos. The movie goes onward. As Peter uh, mentioned, Stiller and MTV knockoff, they twist the film that Ryder had been working on in here. Uh, 
and make it very much a, a proto Jersey Shore, something silly, not very interesting. Uh, lots of weird graphics, Pizza Hut jokes. And they take that same speech in the I don't know. And I really like how critical that approach was to the slacker lifestyle from from this MTV Stooges perspective. But it's, I've spent all this money on college. I have all these high hopes set for me. I can do everything I want. And you know what I'm going to do to try and deal with it? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not even going to try to engage. And I thought that was interesting in the movie. Both you have so much sympathy for Ryder because her art has been distorted and destroyed. But also there's a sense in which this mocking of it is perhaps more accurate of the conditions. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. And I think that that's also indicative of sort of the cultural climate of the time, too. You know, by four years past Slacker, Slacker is almost, you can see it as recording a time that's already happened. You know, the, the late 80s to maybe early 90s. By 94, the idea of someone, uh, you know, just dropping out of society is already no longer nearly as seductive as it was then. I, I don't know what exactly is responsible for that that change and that sudden shift away. but. I think even as a phenomenon, the slacker is dying. And like I mentioned earlier, even it being in this sort of more, you know, it still wasn't a huge budget movie, but being in a bigger, uh, bigger movie like this, eleven and a half million dollar budget movie distributed by Universal, versus a guy with a movie camera and That's his friends. It's enormous compared to twenty seven thousand. Right. Right. Uh, the the way that the slacker got eaten up by culture and spit back out so quickly is pretty impressive. So, whereas I do think you're right that Ben Stiller was inspired by Richard Linklater to try and do something artistic uh, with his career, someone actually did something artistic with their career, and that was Kevin Smith, who was inspired... Artistic is like a... <laughs> Artistic's a very kind way to describe anything Kevin Smith no, does, but we'll give it to him. This movie's fantastic. <laughs> Richard Linklater, Kevin Smith, was sitting in a theater. He saw slacker and decided i want to make a movie i never thought that you would be a big kevin smith fan this is the funniest thing to me <laughs> i love clerks i love clerks clerks too isn't even that bad what, what, how do you uh, feel about the rest of kevin smith's body of work i've seen more of it than i care to admit what about what about have you seen never seen Dogma. have you seen chasing amy silent bob strike back is man <laughs> um, the other jam silent bob not great there's chasing amy's good. uh yeah amy's good. the first half of it's great and the second half is garbage <laughs> true part of it is i don't remember the jason something the actor uh who's also in my name is earl i've always liked him uh, i've had a, no an, an affinity for him and his work um clerks is phenomenal <laughs> if kevin smith would have stopped there he would be an all-time great American artist. <laughs> so Are you have you have you seen Tusk? Thing. I think he's still an all-time great American artist. Tusk is a masterpiece, Clerks. and I will not take anything less than that. Clerks was inspired by Slacker very directly. It shows the movie very much from the point of view of someone like Ethan Hawke from Reality Bites or everyone from Slacker. 
and that is I don't know the actor's name, uh, but the the main character who is a clerk at a convenience store. Yeah, uh, so he's a clerk. His buddy works at the video store across the street. Um, Twenty-seven thousand dollar budget. Uh, yeah, it's super small. I'm pretty sure they shot it at the convenience store that Kevin Smith worked at, um, and they they had to shoot it at night. That's why there's there's a running gag where the the garage the door won't open the the uh, security gate won't open on the on the the store because they couldn't shoot during the day, so they couldn't have the the gate open. And part part of that also, they had no money for a set and no money for location, so uh, they had to use a convenience store where he actually worked. But also, they had no money for lights, and because they had to work at night, uh, they decided to shoot it in black and white because they couldn't afford to uh, light up the um, the movie sufficiently. And so they shot it in black and white, and it looks good. It looks good. I'm not even supposed to be here today. I'm not even supposed to be here today. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Working on my day off, the goddamn steel shutters are closed. I smell like shoe polish. Um, yeah, and I think that one thing that's interesting about this versus slashers, it sort of gets a little bit of the, that uh, dichotomy that we're, you were talking about earlier with the, you know, slacker by choice versus guy who works at a convenience store. I feel like this is depicting much more of a blue collar type working class, uh, someone who really needs the money and is working that job because they need to, not because they don't want to work at a bank. You know, and uh, the like, Jay and Silent Bob, the the drug dealers that hang it outside, are just they're they're drug dealers. <laughs> you know, it's... there's nothing moral about like there's nothing greater to them than these are a couple of weirdos, one of whom doesn't talk. They sit out front of the convenience store and they sell drugs and listen to music. Right, and I, I, there's nothing more. And the the protagonist hates that he's in that situation. He really wishes he was doing anything other than working at that convenience store. You can't with his name, annoying customer. Which I, I mean, part of that's just slacker. We never see anybody at work. You know, we never we don't know where any of those people work or what they do for money. We assume they do something, but we don't we don't actually see it. So this might just be what they're like at work too. It's really hard to totally guess the socioeconomic background of these characters but it seems like it's uh and counter reality bites were the two female protagonists one of whom is a manager at the gap the other the documentary filmmaker says huh i would never work at the gap like this is clerks is yeah doesn't have Reality Bites, especially compared to the other two, has a very elitist tone to the way the slackers go about their life and is much more pretentious. Slacker, there isn't pretension. It's just weirdness. It's centricities. Clerks is very much, we have to get by and this is how we get by. We work at a convenience store. When we get lunch breaks, we can play hockey on the roof in the sun. But that's all. <laughs> there, there's nothing else. That that's what's what's available. Right, and there, you know, it's more of a an overt slapsticky like classic style comedy than than 
slacker is. It's it's more joke driven, uh, which I'm not totally sure that connects back to. But I think that there's uh, you know there's a lot more like pop culture references. It's much more kind of steeped in in the moment rather than sort of the the history and the the politics of of something like slacker. Kevin Smith is a huge uh, fan of comics. And all, all of his movies very much have a feel of reading a, a comic book in terms of pop culture, silliness, gags, and lighthearted feel to it. Even even Clerks, which has moments of, of sort of emotional intensity, it is approached like a black and white comic book, which is very, very different from Linklater's Slice of Life james joyce grade storytelling yeah and i think that one other thing that quirks adds that's pretty significant is the presence of of marijuana in in the the slacker subculture and that archetype uh which we see there's a, a scene in reality bites where they all smoke a joint and go to the gas station to buy snacks and my sharona comes on and they all start dancing or whatever which is a very uh cute and corny scene but Quirks did, you know. Except that Michelin is like an incredibly disgusting and inappropriate song. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's we, move we don't need to dive into that, right? That's a different podcast. But, um, but yeah, the 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 presence of of marijuana, I think, is essential to the subculture. You don't see that so much in Slacker, if I can recall correctly. It's they they mostly hang out at bars and drink beer. But, uh, you know, Jay and Silent Bob selling their weed out in the corner is. Uh, part of that's just a grind just like working the grocery store or the, the convenience store is but that's also an integral part of the subculture yeah so what we were preparing for this uh this podcast we were, ta- we were talking a little bit about like where where we can still see a slacker archetype in a way and brad you mentioned the movie super bad um and i think that's pretty uh on point because i don't really think there's any domain where the the slacker aesthetic or lifestyle really even works in modern life outside of the high school and you know you mentioned earlier that you think of slack as being a middle school sitting on your couch watching tv um i think that's very much the close we have to slacker there isn't the idea of disengagement as being a political or radical act is so not anything that's even remotely near the culture um people are pretty rightly criticized a lot of the time for pretending to or for uh cosplaying as poor people when they aren't you know, it's not not really the type of class solidarity that people look for these days. Um, and I think that even the, just the pressure to perform for social media and to monetize any talent anybody has online, just uh, it makes our free time look more like work uh, and our work look more like free time at the same time. And so the idea that one could sit and do nothing, you really can't anymore. It isn't possible for us to not do anything. I think quarantine is showing that how crazy we get. Everyone's popping up with different quarantine hobbies. I and I think in some part materialism has become too pervasive. And I don't think it's possible to reject it or the market or professional life in a way it was in the 90s and i think part of that oh absolutely you know 
everyone we've discussed rebels by buying clothes at thrift stores, by not consuming what their parents consumed in terms of vehicles, dress, and and beyond that. But so much of consumption has become digital entertainment. And it, in some respects, it's really impressive and and um, very much philosophic uh, in a non-pretentious way how these characters just sit back, watch the world around them, don't interact with it too much, don't act too much, or just observe it. And I feel like now you go... Five minutes without something, 30 seconds without something, you pull out Twitter, you pull out Instagram, you pull out social media, you go 30 minutes without something, you sit down and start playing a video game or watching a movie. It, I don't think it's possible to disengage from society. In this right. Way. And I was thinking, as I was thinking about this idea, maybe quarantine is sort of giving us a return in a way to the slacker aesthetic and the slacker lifestyle. You know, everyone's, uh, we're, being a little bit less materialistic you know we we don't like where people are adopting these kind of strange hobbies there isn't really like we don't feel like we have long-term goals in the same way we did two months ago you know but at the same time uh a big part of it is is the actual face-to-face social interaction they all have they're all just hanging out with people they're not really sitting around doing nothing they're sitting around with their friends and they're uh going meeting people at bars whatever you know and and whenever they engage with entertainment, it's at a concert. It's at something real and live and performed. I don't think we're anywhere near the slackers in terms of quarantine because all of our media and entertainment is, is consumptive. People are sitting back on the couch, sure, and maybe not being productive and going out in the world. But they aren't feeling it, filling that space with leisure, like the slacker is. Not not leisure in a meaningful sense, not leisure in like an older aristocratic sense. It, it is not leisure. What people are doing, what I'm doing, is plugging in to capital, to advertising, to digesting all the media and entertainment that has been created to satiate me. I, I'm not slacking. I'm watching HBO. I'm watching Disney+. Plus. I'm watching Netflix. None of those. Doing that is as establishment as, as possible. That isn't a rejection. That's full acceptance. That's a deeper integration of these forces into our lives that then the slackers could have possibly imagined. Yeah, I mean, every time you open up Twitter, all you're doing is putting dollars in someone else's pocket. Uh, that's all it is. Like there's, there's no way around it. And, you know, to me, it's a little bit, um, upsetting. I'm, I'm nostalgic for this time that I wasn't alive to witness, to, uh, live that, that slacker lifestyle, you know, that it, it's, uh, has a very romantic appeal to, to me, uh, and the anti, 
anti-establishment, anti-political politics of it are very appealing to me personally. Um, but it's something that is just completely impossible to to happen right now. Honestly, I'm not sure it's very possible then. I think Linklater depicts it well. I think he depicts it more romantically than it was actually. In the romantic depictions of both Reality Bites and Clerks are already so distorted and non-slackerish that I can't possibly imagine that the reality is any better. Yeah. I mean, what else is there, you know? It's... Should, should, should we wrap up? I thought this was a wrapping yeah. up. <laughs> Alright, yeah. Well, yeah. We slacked on this episode. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you know, watch some good movies uh, and turn off Twitter. Call your friend or something. I don't know. Start a podcast. Start a podcast. <laughs> Do something, something anti-productive with your time. Thanks for listening in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed our recent series on theory in the time of coronavirus theory in the time of quarantine rather if you haven't listened to it yet i encourage it this format though is going to be more what we're expecting for the future in line with our first episode on solitude if you'd like we'd really appreciate if you left us a review if you have any questions comments suggestions let us know enjoy your quarantine slack a little bit and watch richard Linklater. All right.